Good morning. I'm Scott Duda, and thank you for joining us for our law firm Digital Transformation, the last uh, in this series on protecting your business. I'm an audit partner with Cherry Beckert, and I also lead our professional services industry group. With me today are two Dans, Dan Sambler and Dan Hewlin, both directors in our digital advisory and risk, uh, risk assurance practices. Dan Hewlin, uh, can you start by introducing yourself? Sure, thanks, Scott. I'm Dan Hewlin. I'm a director, as Scott said, in our digital advisory services. Uh, had a lot of decades of experience uh, across the IT space in global IT and software infrastructure, security analytics. And uh, today, I help organizations both define what does this mean for digital transformation for their business and then how it might be leveraged, especially in insights, growth initiatives, and operational effectiveness. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Dan Sembler. <laughs> hey, Scott, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm Dan Sembler. I'm also a director in uh, our risk assurance and advisory practice, specifically the, the information assurance and cybersecurity domain. Um, I've been with the firm for over 12 years and, and specialize most of my time now in helping uh, middle market uh, quickly growing technology companies prepare for various cybersecurity standards, third-party attestations, any type of third-party or vendor requirements they're going to have to prepare or actually audit on in the, uh, in the security domain. Excellent. So I know we see and hear things about uh, cybersecurity and hacks and, um, you know, lost data, uh, ransomware. It's in the news every day. We read about it. Um, you know, when we see those things, it's a lot of financial services. It's a lot of professional services. And, you know, I think our customers and clients expect a higher level of data integrity and security from us than maybe some others. So for both of you, and, and we'll start with Dan Sembler, what are some of the major risks that uh, law firms are seeing today as it relates to protecting their data? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Um, we see this question all the time. One of the things that that Dan Hewlin and I wanted to bring forward, you know, for for contextual reasons, is actually a, an annual survey that goes out from Marsh. You know, specifically the the 2021 edition. There's a they did an annual legal business risk survey where respondents are asked to to, to respond and say, you know, where are you worried? What impacts uh, from a from a cyber or a technological you know breach perspective could have a a significant impact on your on your organization? And their responses are are focused at the top around IT security breaches and losing or inadvertently disclosing commercially sensitive or information or in commercially sensitive data or information right uh, they, they're also noting significant risks or impacts related to workforce availability everybody's seeing this across the board even outside of professional services right uh, they're also noting specific concerns about data privacy or how do they make sure that they're complying with their vendor or contractual requirements with regards to destruction of data how long do they have to keep stuff right uh, last two things I want to make sure we notice here just because it does uh, set, set some context for, for our discussion today is related to uh, the financial systems and how they can ensure their ongoing integrity so they're not uh, compromised leading to direct financial financial loss or, or a hindrance to their own growth, right? And then lastly, you know, reputational damage. How do they protect their firm, right? Uh, how do they make sure they're not uh, connected with, with an unsavory or unethical client or client activity that ultimately has a negative impact or repercussion on their business? Yeah, Dan, uh, I just want to uh, weigh in there as well. One of the other things that uh, was noted and, and very important uh, is in probability of these things happening. You know, IT security breaches don't happen every, every day, but 
but other things do. Uh, in the IT context, we often talk about doing risk management and thinking about well, what are you going to do when a serious attack uh, you know, hits your business? But the probability of the electricity going out in your data center is more probable. So from a legal context, um, the probability of procedural oversights, you know, failure to complete the key step in a process, failure to keep track of when a critical step uh, in the uh, legal process has to be conducted on what date things have to be filed, internal process failures like lost documents, uh, the wrong attachment went out, processes are completed with simple errors like typographical or wrong, wrong dates are entered or the failure to warn a client of potential risks and costs associated with a course of action. These are these are day-to-day -day, um, operational <clears throat> things that um, uh, law firms face in particular, and uh, we definitely want to hit on that in terms of risk mitigation uh, and impacts on negligence claims. So let's start with the, the the five impacts that we talked about, and then we can dig in on the the negligence situations. But so, what can firms do to prevent these security breaches? Yeah, absolutely. I get a, a common question, Scott, you know, and, and I want to circle back to, you know, even in, in our introduction here, the questions that we're continuing to receive and some of the top respondents responses to that March survey related to impacts are all around, you know, ransomware and phishing and some of these things. Mm -hmm. These are this is what we see keep popping up in the news. Right. And what we the first thing we always remind organizations of law firms in particular is that the front line of any you know cyber risk management program or protection is really your your employees it's the human element right they're the ones that are transacting interacting with clients and data sending information here and there right so it's it's really important to have a a standardized robust uh, information security program that's going to push out requirements training protocols both at the time of hire and annually thereafter or as your contractual requirements may require if you have particularly sensitive data or if you have access to say EPHI or any type of particular particularly sensitive data like that you may have to do it more often it may behoove you to do it say quarterly or semi-annually you may also have to have some special tools or protocols where you're exchanging data or storing data absolutely but the training of your employees to make sure that they're following the protocols that your firm has in place is really where you're going to want to focus on first. On top of that, you're also going to want to have a strong incident response policy. You want to have your plan documented before you're ever under fire or in a situation. So you have the decision tree already lined out. You already have your steps, how you're going to recover, how you're going to respond, how you're going to detect. Everything is already written down ahead of time, right? Lastly, you want to make sure that you have strong encryption and authentication controls around your critical or uh, critical infrastructure or where you're, wherever your confidential data resides. You're going to think about things like encryption. These are things you're probably used to hearing about, right? Encryption both of data at rest in your environments or if you're relying on a third party, how are they encrypting your data on your behalf? Right. And how are you exchanging data with both those third parties and your clients? We need to have a lot of assurance there and also uh, make sure you have those strong authentication controls. So are you able to implement some type of multi-factor authentication? Are you able to implement uh, encryption of of service account passwords? Do you have a, a key pass management system? These are all things you can do to help uh, increase the the protections that you have around the authentication of those critical systems. So the the human element you mentioned, right? Like they're the weak link. That's why I get all those test phishing emails from our uh, IT group, right? Okay, so what about data privacy and destruction of data? What advice would you give legal practice clients there? Thanks, Scott. Um, 
This has many dimensions, of course. You know, the first thing um, with respect to data privacy, destruction of data, the management of data is to right size it for the organization. You know, the needs of a 10 person uh, law firm are distinct from a 500 person firm that's doing international work. On the data privacy front, you know, the adherence to privacy laws, they become so much more complex. Um, I'm sure the, I'm sure our legal customers, uh, clients know this, but <clears throat> um, especially so for direct to consumer companies, um, which law firms are in some respects, but others do need to pay attention to these because the practices are still helpful and identify the what we call the golden eggs, you know, defining where, where are those uh, key parts of your business that you need to protect and to know also how to respond in case of a breach. So knowing uh, where you're collecting personal information and where the data lives, for example, you may have uh, customer or uh, client data in HubSpot, constant contact for emailing CRM solutions, your practice management solution on-premise um, and public file systems or cloud-based file systems. You may have that customer data in a lot of different places. So knowing where it is is really important. And also then ensuring that your policies are published. The opt-out forms, the process to deal with customer requests under the California Consumer Privacy Act and other states, as well as GDPR. Uh, going a little bit further on that and data privacy and, and, and getting to the management of data, including destruction of data, are a host of what I would call infrastructure considerations. Um, and this is the basic blocking and tackling of and the tactics of dealing with um, implementing your risk management program and strategies, and that's identity and access, right? Making sure that you know everybody's authenticating, you have multi-factor authentications uh, going on, and you have role-based security inside your data systems, practice management systems, cloud solutions, and so forth. Um, having an information architecture, it kind of gets back to that, where does data live? It's important to have that outlined and to do that deliberately so that um, when new people come into your organization, they can be joined to a a group and that group then gives them access um, to particular resources and not others. Uh, coming on to that is also practices in data retention so that information is tagged automatically and uh, the backend systems can remove that data from your environment, whether it be again file systems or emails or chats and um, uh, these types of areas. Data management and labeling, the tagging of documents, uh, for example, that are related to a matter uh, related to a client, and so you can better protect information. And <clears throat> using that data, data labeling uh, can also implement tools like data loss prevention, so that when a sensitive document is tagged, that it doesn't go out through general email. It goes out uh, an email, but it, it, it switches over and sends a link that's an encrypted link to a virtual mailbox that a person can interact with for the transfer of sensitive data. Obviously, utilization of portals is, is helpful there too. The encryption is also a, an important tactic here for the protection of data. If people do not, if our clients do not have encryption out on their endpoints, meaning their PCs and also their mobile devices, uh, then we advise them to get that sorted and then finally back up in recovery. Um, knowing where the data goes uh, from a data protection perspective and is it encrypted? And also, is there an air gap? This is a major problem. We deal with cybersecurity incidents where uh, the, the bad guys are hanging out in the network for a long time and they find out where the backups are. There's not an air gap between them. There's not a separate um, authentication. It's the same authentication that your administrator is using, but they've got access to the administrator accounts now and then can get to the backups and get rid of them before they go further. Yeah, uh, one of my clients knows all too well that issue of uh, not having separate uh, 
security around a backup uh, uh, system. Um, so I know earlier in our discussion, we talked about reputational risk. What can firms do to, to mitigate that or, or offset that or protect themselves? Yeah, th thanks, Scott. Uh, you know, again, a, a common question. And, and typically where we'll see these these questions kind of reside or re revolve is around ESG, you know, the environmental, societal or governance risks and what can firms do or, or service organizations do to protect themselves. Right. So so the first thing they're going to want to do is have a a robust uh, process in place to identify new risks or reevaluate previously existing risks that have been identified during during previous practices. Typically, they're going to want to have that that process execute at least annually. You know, think of it as an enterprise risk management or just an overarching risk assessment type process that they can execute. Uh, certainly, if they don't feel like they have the the expertise in house, there are plenty of providers externally that can help them through that process. Um, you're going to want to think about things, especially in this ESG round these are these are some of the emerging risks like what are we doing to evaluate our oncoming customers our oncoming clients and and where their uh values lie and do they lie in in line with our firm's values you know they, we see all sorts of examples in the public domain of of where there are clashes in these values between you know an organization who is providing a service and a, and a customer or a client who is who is receiving it right and and how how are firms evaluating that relationship how are uh, firms evaluating uh those those values right and how are we how are we making decisions about who we're doing business with and who we're associated with and and what's the the, the reputational fallout from that. Um, after identifying a population of risks, not just related to ESG, typically you're gonna want this to be an overarching thing, right? Um, but after you've identified your population of risks, that's where you really have to go through a strong process of identifying your existing processes, or in my domain, we'd call these controls, right? Existing controls that you have to mitigate those risks. All right, the power is gonna go out. What do we do to mitigate, mitigate the risk of the power going out? All right, and ESG risk, what are we gonna do to mitigate or identify those risks, right? Then you have to evaluate what the ongoing effectiveness is of those processes or of those controls to actually mitigate those risks to reduce the residual risk to your firm, right? And then you have a decision to make. That's where you spend most of your time uh, working with your, your vendors, your partners, your executive leadership teams to say, all right, here's, here's our library of risks. Here's everything we've done to mitigate or try to control some of those risks. Here's where our where our residual risk lies. And are we comfortable with that? Or do we have to implement some new policies or some new processes or some new controls? Or do we have to execute another vendor, right? Uh, do we have to uh, accept a risk? Is it as low as we can get it? And for business purposes, this is as far as we can go. Or do we want to transfer some of that risk vis-a-vis -vis insurance or to another third party? Yeah, I appreciate that. On reputational risk, you know, in addition, there's the key processes, you know, law firms and general counsels and other companies have to deal with in their operations, you know, such as conflict of interest inquiries or know your customer, anti-money laundering requirements. And, you know, thankfully, there are some software-based solutions that can do this or be enhanced uh, to conduct those processes, you know, with greater automation. Good, good. So let's talk about that uh, business process automation. How does that reduce risk? Yeah, that's a, this is an important area. I mentioned that uh, before in terms of probability, you know, those procedural oversights, the failures to diarize or, you know, action, the time critical legal steps, the internal process failure, the, the process is completed, but you've got simple errors, like typographical or a, wrong dates are entered, uh, failure to warn a client on potential risks. <clears throat> um, the key takeaway for us and an area where we also get engaged beyond the traditional cybersecurity and infrastructure considerations that I mentioned before is that a law firm, you know, just as any uh, organization is going to compete uh, 
and lower risk at the same time is apply more process standardization and especially automation you know, for their company. Um, and I want to distinguish here, we have got uh, you know, two kinds, business process automation and robotic process automation. Uh, the typical business process or workflows you, you see a lot in, in organizations that are routing forms around, getting approvals and those types of things. But RPA, robotic process automation, is bringing a whole other dimension of quality and capability uh, to this area of um, reducing waste, reducing errors, and so forth. So here's some, in the law firm context, here's some um, process automation uh, opportunities, scheduling appointments, making sure that uh, your clients can see what's available and they can do some auto scheduling, uh, making sure that you have digital signature capabilities and automation there to get contract signed and other things. Related to contract management, like identifying contracts that were requiring review and the the you know, termination dates are set properly, the accepting or rejecting contract changes based on uh, some parameters of non-negotiables, <clears throat> um, document generation and creating drafts, not just from templates anymore, but imagine you know, creating drafts that are harvesting data from government websites. Like the, 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 robotic, the robot is logging in on your behalf with your credentials or with some other you know, shared credentials and it's grabbing information uh, automatically and filling in your <clears throat> your templates with that information uh, or go, going into your practice management solution and filling it in. These are very sophisticated um, robots that are able to do this. Here's another one, creating digests for changes in the code of law uh, or regulatory compliance <clears throat> and leveraging that not only for internal use, but also means of publishing uh, to your customer base, right? Maybe you could monetize that as well. Handling the privacy requests, handling GDPR requests, handling foreign export controls, handling H-1B visas, self-service NDAs. I mean, these robots can do a lot. And in all those applications, these are just really good examples of how to use the technology to reduce the errors and thus reduce the claims for negligence. Um, they obviously have the added benefit, you know, too, of it's eliminating waste, it's eliminating time. It's also inherently generating more value uh, because of the accuracy, customer satisfaction, increased margins through productization. For example, you think that uh, in H-1B um, visas and so forth, that you could use a robot to 100% make every application accurate and not have this have things going back and forth. So that's, that's super valuable. So what other things should firms be thinking about? What other practices would help them reduce risk and protect the business? Anything else that we should, uh, should be thinking about? Yeah. Well, another... Another way, um, and it's it, it's again kind of getting to the you know getting to automation <clears throat> and so forth, um, and controlling data is finding ways to move away from email, you know, into uh, a client or a matter portal. Um, that's another way to lower risk because you know if you've designed with a process mindset and you have tasks that are organized and comments are included, it also gives some personnel time back to work on more strategic issues. Um, you know, less time responding to basic inquiries that, that clients are prone to make. You know, further, I would just say protecting your business uh, is that transfer or that redirecting at risk. What do you mean uh, there by redirecting that risk? Well, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, law firms do this really well and giving counsel is shifting uh, risk to third parties, um, you know, that are specializing in process and outsourcing uh, instead of trying to solve this myself. 
Right. Yeah, Scott. Uh, insurance is a is a good example of of transfer or redirection of risk, right? And and one of the emerging things that we're seeing throughout throughout the the professional services industry is that, you know, there's an expectation that some type of general liability or general practitioner's insurance is going to provide some coverage for specific cyber breaches or incidences. And in our experience, and in our customers or our clients' experiences, that's really not usually true. You know, you know this, right? Insurance companies are going to find any reason that they can to get out of, you know, assisting or providing some coverage for something that is determined to be out of scope from your coverage, right? So you're going to want to make sure from the protection perspective, from the cyber uh, protection perspective, that you're executing specific cyber liability or cyber uh, protection insurance uh, policies that'll give you some protection, some some coverage uh, for, for common occurrences should you have to have to engage them for, say, notification of, of data breaches to customers or restoring identities to affected individuals or recovering, helping your organization recover from uh, your data being compromised or stolen. How do you get the business back up and running? And then finally, you want to think about having some coverage under that policy for the repairing of damaged computer systems or networking equipment that you just need, again, to get back up on your feet, get the doors open and get business rolling again. Right. So, you know, um, we've not only uh, read uh, articles and seen headlines on all of this. I mean, at this point, it's so common. We've all experienced it or we know clients or customers that have experienced it. Um, it's not going away. And so Dan and Dan, really thank you both for uh, all this information. It's been very enlightening and I think helpful um, in really helping us to think about this. How do we protect our business? Um, appreciate everybody listening to us today. And our contact information uh, for the three of us is included uh, where you access the podcast. Please let us know how we can be your guide forward. Look forward to talking to you again. Thanks very much.